we'll get into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We ask you, Father, for this time that you would just draw us into your presence, Father, that you would speak your word to our hearts and our minds, and that you would be our teacher this morning, Father. We ask you to please make your word come alive to our hearts and our minds again, and just that all eyes, Father, would be on you, and that we would all praise you and glorify you, Father. We ask you again for this time, blessed, and be with us, Father. Guide us in you, in Jesus' precious name, amen. Currently, uh, Pastor Mike is in uh, Colossians. He finished uh, chapter 2, I believe, and I was looking at chapter 3, and I would have loved to have that on that. There's a lot of really good stuff in there, but uh, I felt God was leading me to teach in, in a different area in the scripture. And then the past couple of weeks, uh, basically, he's confirmed that I think almost every message that I've heard has had that theme in it, uh, even Wednesday, uh, Sean touched on it a, a little bit. So today, uh, please turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works and your labor and your patience and how you cannot bear them that are evil. And you have tried them that which say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars. And has borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has, has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Remember therefore from whence thou wert fallen and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove your candlestick out of his place, except you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the par paradise of God. I've got a simple question for you guys. This is, should be pretty easy for everybody to answer. Uh, the only uh, people I don't want answering this are my kids. What's the meaning of life? It's a simple question, right? No takers? To glorify God. Yeah? Anyone else? No, no, let, let's uh, change that question a little bit. What's the Bible all about? Mm -hmm. If you could pick one verse to summarize it, what would it be? Yeah. What's that verse? <laughs> you get the prize. Though. <laughs> John 3.16. I agree. If, if I had to pick a verse in the Bible that would summarize the Bible, it would be John 3.16. Come on. All of you could probably say it. On three, come on. <laughs> Excellent. You guys all get a prize. <laughs> yeah, that, that summarizes the Bible. Uh, it, it tells us what the purpose is, but it doesn't tell us why. Uh, can you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3?
chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art you? Where art thou? Between these two verses, basically, we have the, the subject of, of the Bible. Here, basically, before this verse, we, we read, basically, that there was fellowship, that there was a relationship between God and man. Then the serpent enters the picture, and Eve, it was the woman. <laughs> yeah, I won't go there. <laughs> we'll talk afterwards, if you want. <laughs> no, but... They, they basically broke fellowship. They sinned. And the result of that sin was basically, since then, mankind has been hiding from God. We, as a species, we as human beings, have been hiding from him, and he has been calling after us. That is the entire Bible. These two verses basically summarize it. There was a loss of fellowship. We sinned, and we've been hiding ever since, and he's been calling ever since. We, we had a personal relationship, and it was destroyed by sin. And the restoration of that relationship came at a great cost to God. The meaning of life is basically in that one word. And Cindy said it. Relationship. If you want to have a fulfilled life, relationships are what it's all about. Primarily with God, but then also with each other. Even unbelievers, if they have good relationships, they'll, they'll have a good life. <laughs> Back to Revelation chapter 2. The, these seven letters to these seven churches penned by Jesus himself, basically they, they, each of their titles, each of their names basically even have a significance. Does, can anybody tell me what the word Ephesus means? No takers. Ephesus, the word means, literally means uh, darling. It means chosen or special. It's a term of endearment. And, and it's significant in the, the theme that this letter has to this church. These, these churches, these seven churches, have four dimensions at least. We're going to be dealing with the personal relation or the personal dimension to these letters. Every church in existence basically today will have believers that fall into these seven categories or into these seven churches. And then we each basically go through several of these as well through our walk with God, through our walk with Jesus. Study the seven letters. That they're, they're fascinating. They, they lay out church history, but then they're also a picture of believers within each fellowship. And God might speak to you. What's, what are the themes to the, in this letter? He begins by saying they're, they're hardworking. They're very hardworking. They're long-suffering. They're scripturally sound, doctrinally sound, that, which is interesting. Do you guys remember Paul dealt with this church personally? Turn to in the book of Acts to uh, chapter 20. 
verse 29. For I know this, that after my departure shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also your own selves shall men arise, from your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. This, he's talking to the church of Ephesus in the book of Acts. So this church, they, they listen to Paul. This is the early church. And according to Jesus himself, he says, yeah, so, doctrinally, you guys are right on. And you try those guys that come in basically claiming to be apostles, and you find them liars. And you don't have anything to do basically with any heresy. They, they heeded Paul's warning. Later on, as we read, you know, to the uh, subsequent churches, that begins to change. But this church was right on. They're hardworking scripturally sound, they hate evil, they're morally sound. You know, they, they have all these great things, but then there's always that but. <laughs> there, there's a rebuke here. He says, they left their first love. The term fallen is used. That, that's severe. And then he, he tells them the consequences if they don't repent. He's going to take away their position. He's going to take away their light. So, looking at these letters, and especially this one in a in personal manner today, or in a personal way, th there's a lot that we can learn from it. Uh, I, I learned some of my best lessons about my relationship with God from my relationship with my, my family, my wife especially, but my kids also. You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I got into a fight with my wife. <laughs> it doesn't happen that often. Usually she's up all the time. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, basically, I mean, it wasn't significant looking back at it. And I'm, I'm not going to give you the details. But you know, to some degree, I felt that she was putting you know, something uh, ahead of me. And I didn't feel so, so hot about that. And we got into a fight. It was late. You know, the sun had gone down. So I definitely did not reconcile that day. <laughs> The, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. It had already gone down. <laughs> First day I had a pass, but then I was still angry the second day. And I definitely let the sun go down on my anger, even on the second day. And then worse, basically, it was Wednesday night, and I didn't, I didn't come to a midweek Bible study because I was angry with her. I couldn't fellowship. I couldn't worship. Can you guys worship when you guys are angry with your husband or your wife? <laughs> You can't. <laughs> it's pretty difficult. And the Bible tells us that, too. And it also tells us that if we're angry, you know what? God doesn't hear our prayers. <laughs> so next I continued. My wife didn't apologize, so I continued angry. <laughs> and, you know, when, when I get angry, it, it's really goofy because I'm at work, and I'm, I'm anxiously waiting for her call because she calls me every day. <laughs> we talk every day while I'm at work. And so I'm angry at her, and I'm waiting for that call, and then that call comes, and then uh, I'm like, I'm going to ignore you, you know, take that. I'm, I'm hurting, but I'm not picking up. <laughs> you know, and the only one that's really suffering is me. She, 
she apologized the next day, so we made up. It, it, it was all her. I mean, me? No. <laughs> so we made up. Everything's good. You know, I'm thinking, ah, I'm off the hook. You know, she apologized. I forgave her. So the, the next day, after we had made up and everything, and I'd completely forgotten about it, because like I said, everything was good. I went for a ride after work. I, I uh, tried to ride at least a couple of, couple of times a week at a trail down in Savage. It's uh, about an hour and a half, and it's single track. It's basically out in the woods, nothing around. And I'm getting ready for my, for my ride, and I ask, you know, simple prayer, Father, you know, please bless me, and then I take off. I didn't think much of it. I mean, if I had verbalized it, I probably would have, you know, thought, you know, bless me by keeping me safe, by giving me stamina, you know, not letting it hurt too much or whatever, because it's a hard ride. <laughs> I, but I didn't. It was a simple prayer. I didn't think much of it. I started out riding, and, you know, when you're riding out in the middle of the woods and stuff, uh, especially for an hour and a half ride, you have a lot of time to think. And you end up thinking about a lot of different things. I ended up, you know, on the subject of tree huggers and environmentalists and, and all that. And I'm out in the woods, and I, I love it. <laughs> but, you know, I, I take the, the path of, you know what, I, I worship the creator, not the creation. And I start praising God, and all of a sudden, I just, I broke down. <laughs> I start weeping. I'm riding my bike. I'm riding hard, you know, to ups and downs and ruts and everything. And all of a sudden, tears are streaming down my face. No Spanics. Spanics and love handles don't go well together, so I don't wear them. <laughs> but picture that. <laughs> I, I felt God's presence. I felt his love. He was just completely indwelling me. I was in the middle of praising and worshiping, and he, he gave me his presence. So first, you know, God, God is really good. I mean, basically, just like in this letter, first thing he does is first he commands them. He blesses them. He tells them, you know what? You guys got all this good. <laughs> but then he deals with them. And that's essentially, that's what I felt God did with me during this ride. First, you know, he pours out his love on me. And then he starts rebuking me. Because <laughs> then, like I said, I... I learn about my relationship with him through my relationship with my wife a lot. And basically what he spoke to my heart was, you know what? What you felt that she did to you is what you did to me. I did not go to midweek Bible study because of my pride, because of my stability, basically. And I basically neglected to go and have fellowship with God. And he said, that's exactly what you did to me. You put something else above me just as you felt that she had put something above you. So I'm already crying, but then I start bawling. <laughs> and then I, I repent. You know, I repent right there and there. I'm still riding my bike. <laughs> and, you know, instantly after that, three deer jump right on the trail, <laughs> right in front of me, almost within arm's reach. It's great, you know. I, I ride, I tried to ride quite a bit uh, within the last year, but even before that, and every so often you see that word here, basically you, you'll see them out in the woods and stuff, and, and I love seeing that. <laughs> and do you think God knows that I love seeing that? Oh, yeah, he does. So first, yeah, he gives me his presence, then he rebukes me, and then he gives me this blessing. <laughs> seeing these, I loved it. 
then I start, you know, well, basically praising again. But but as I'm writing, and I'm thinking about all this, basically in the lessons that he's teaching me and all that, and I'm, I'm still crying going through all of this. And all of a sudden, you know, I start thinking, oh, you know what, this would make a great sermon. <laughs> <laughs> and I started thinking about, you know, what I should say and everything else, and then I get rebuked again, because basically God is telling me, you know what, this is not the time. <laughs> right now is the time of fellowship between you and me. And same thing, I start bawling again. <laughs> You know, to I don't know if you guys have ever, you know, just broken down where you were just sobbing uncontrollably. And my bike was shaking. <laughs> but I loved every minute of it. Um, uh, I was reminded of basically Matthew 10, uh, verse 41. You guys all know the story when Jesus is at Mary and Martha's house, and Martha's upset because Mary isn't helping out with any of the chores or any of that. And that, that basically, that scripture came to mind as I'm writing and I'm fellowship with God and just praising him, basically. And uh, he, he continued to teach me even through all of that, basically. And he said, you know what, Th this is what it's about. It's about basically sitting at his feet and worshiping. And Jesus told Martha, you know, She's chosen correctly. She's chosen the right thing, and it's not going to be taken away from her. What did Mary do after this? Anybody remember? She's sitting at his feet just worshiping. And then she goes out, and then she brings out oil costly oil. Basically, it was worth about a year's wages. It was probably her dowry. And she breaks it and anoints him. You want to worship God? You want to really learn to worship him? Fellowship with him. That, that will follow. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm Mexican. Mexican culture, uh, I don't know if it can get much more uh, machista than that. <laughs> we, we have songs <laughs> that say basically that men aren't supposed to cry. <laughs> we have a lot of songs that say men are not supposed to cry. So my culture discourages men crying. But you know what? I don't want to emulate my culture. I don't want to emulate Mexican culture or any other culture, essentially, but Jesus. And to me, yeah, that's another thing that basically, you know, I'm writing, and I don't care if anybody sees me, you know, weeping while I'm writing. <laughs> I'm having a great time just fellowship with, with my God. And I think, you know, Jesus wept. Jesus wept for us. Should any of us guys, you know, be ashamed to weep, to cry? We're no better than him, I, way, way no better. And we should try and emulate him. And if he wept, you know what? We should have no problem whatsoever doing it ourselves. Even you machistas. None of us are too manly to do it if Jesus wasn't. 
the God of the universe weeps for us. And that that, that, that enter in, basically, our relationship with God, basically, it, it's, a, it's a romance. You know, it, you guys know I, I love uh, teaching out of Ephesians, especially, you know, wives submit unto your husbands and all that. <laughs> but then Paul, at, toward the end of these verses, basically says, you know what, I, I'm speaking a mystery here. I'm speaking about Christ and the church. And basically, our relationship to God, our relationship is essentially like a marriage. And he treats us, he, he romances us. He isn't He wants to meet with us. As a good, any good husband basically should want to spend time with his wife and basically romance her. You know, guys, do you guys want God to treat you the way you treat your wives? Don't answer that. <laughs> At least not out loud. <laughs> do you? Like I said, look, look at your, your relationship with your wife, with your husband, with your children. You can glean a lot about your relationship with God based on that. On that. My, my prayer during this writing was basically that our fellowship would feel his presence in an intimate way. The way, you know, I was feeling it while writing, you know. That's another question. When you don't have to get on your knees, although he has met me while I'm on my knees. He's met me while I'm driving. He's met me, you know, in all kinds of situations, walking, whatever. The point is he wants to meet you. He wants to have fellowship with you, intimate fellowship with you. All we have to do is be willing. He's there, ready to meet us. He's the one that wants to romance us. He's the one that initiates it. You know, the, the high that you get basically from those encounters with him. I, I never did any drugs, but I can't imagine drugs being anywhere near as great as it is when you meet with God. It can't be. You just feel that high where, I mean, you're, you're basically on cloud nine. <laughs> you know, after my ride, like I said, it's, it's about an hour and a half ride. It was Friday evening, it was hot. I finished my ride, I get to the car, and you know what, I noticed my, my water bottle's full. <laughs> I finished my ride refreshed. Like I said, it, it's a high. <laughs> it's a real high. It's just interesting. Uh, I don't know how many of you or if any of you have heard of A.E. Walter Smith. He's gone to be with the Lord now, but he, he taught off in a Calvary Chapel. He was a biologist. And he wrote a book about the drug epidemic, especially in the US. And his conclusion, or one of his conclusions basically, is that, you know what, our kids, Basically, they don't know that spiritual high like they, they used to. If, if as a kid, you know, I, I, actually, I actually met God when I was pretty young. I was in my early teens, actually even before my teens. And I remember that high even back then. You know what? Getting that high when you're a kid without any drugs or any of that, basically, it just it's going to ruin everything else. There's nothing that can compare to that. 
there's no reason for me to have ever, you know, desired to try it or do any of that, basically, because, you know, all I had to do was get on my knees or basically just seek God, and He would meet with me. And I'd get that instant high. <laughs> you know, usually it involved a lot of weeping, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> I, I went home after my ride, and... I took a shower and I took my wife out to dinner and you know we're driving on the way to the restaurant and everything and I'm telling her what you know just happened and I'm apologizing to her too <laughs> cuz you know I had to but I'm I'm basically doing or trying to do what God is doing with me just as God is romancing me then it's my job also to romance my wife husbands <laughs> listen We desire an intimate relationship, an intimate romance with God, and our wives also desire that with us. And we're to be Jesus to them. So if you guys aren't doing that, you know, you're blowing it. Don't be afraid of PDAs, you know. <laughs> Public displays of affection. God isn't afraid. He'll meet you anywhere. He, he'll meet me, you know, like I said, in the middle of a mountain bike trail or anywhere else and just, you know, weep with me. I'm not afraid to kiss my wife in public, by the way. Or pinky. Uh... <laughs> That's for Cindy. <laughs> but like I said, learn, guys. What you desire from God, what God does in your life, basically, you, you also need to basically apply that to, to your wife, to your kids. I learn a lot from my relationship with my kids as well. You know, you uh, parents ever get mad because your kids don't want to spend time with you? <laughs> I do. Oh, it makes me so angry. And then same thing again, God is speaking to me. It's like, you know what? Yeah, you do that to me too. <laughs> Sometimes it's not comfortable, or sometimes you know you don't have the time, or you got too much stuff going on, or whatever. You know what? That's no excuse. I get hurt when my kids do it to me. Why would I do it to God? You know, service, service to God is great, but as we can see in this letter, basically, if they they were doing everything right, they were serving God and everything, but that isn't going to cut it. It's not about what we do. It's about our relationship. Love God with your best love. And, you know, that's, that's the thing, though. If you're in fellowship with God, if you're seeking His presence and everything else, you know what? The service is going to follow. It's going to follow easily, and it's not going to feel like service. It's not going to be tedious or hard or anything. The more you basically get close to Him, the more He's going to provide opportunities for you to serve Him and the less they're going to feel like service. But they're going to feel more like a privilege. That's the other thing. You, you start walking with God, and He basically leads you in serving Him, and you just end up in awe of the work that He's doing. It's great to see Him work. It's wonderful. It's also a high. <laughs> but... It comes after that relationship. It comes after that fellowship with them. And then the service will follow.
I, I always, well, anybody who's been coming here uh, for any length of time and ha has heard me uh, filling for Pastor Mike before, has heard me give this contrast. I, I loved contrasting David and Solomon, and the Bible also contrasts them as well. Here you have father and son, but they have, they had completely different priorities. What did Solomon ask for? You guys can turn to uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7, if you want to. And that night did God appear unto Solomon and said unto him, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said unto God, Thou hast showed great mercy unto David my father and has made me to reign in his stead. Now, O Lord God, let thy promise unto David my father be established. For you have made me king over a people like the dust of the earth and multitude. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can judge this thy people that is so great? What would you ask God if God came and asks you? Ask anything of me and I'll give it to you. You know, on, on the surface, and, and God was pleased also with Solomon's request. But read Ecclesiastes like we were doing in, in midweek. What was the end result of that? What's Solomon known for? For his wisdom. Is he known for a relationship with God? He's not, <laughs> on the contrary, on the contrary. And even Jesus, when he used him as an example, it was kind of a backhanded approach to him, basically. What about David? What did David ask for? You can sum up, basically, his prayer, his desire in one, one verse, and that's in Psalm 27. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to acquire in his temple. Does that sound like fellowship? Does that sound like he simply wants to be in the presence of God? Since you're in Psalms, go to 51 now. Psalm 51, verse 12. Deliver me from the Blood, blood guiltiness, O oh God, thou God of my salvation. Oh, wait a second, did I get the wrong one? I did get the wrong one. Oh, that's weird. 
Psalm 51, 12, uh, restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. It's basically the, the prayer that we should have if we've lost that first love. Do you guys remember when you guys were first saved? How many here can remember that? What was it like? You know, when, when I was dating my wife, I, I had a great romance with my wife. I would not trade it for anything. I mean, it would make a great movie. <laughs> you women would love it. <laughs> you guys would find it, find, find it funny, too. They had everything. You know, I, when, when we met, that first week after we met, I, I swear I could smell her perfume the entire week. <laughs> I'm serious. And you guys can ask me what it was because I know which I, I still remember the name of it. <laughs> I, I could smell her <laughs> all through the week. I'm at work, and that, that fragrance just lingered. <laughs> It did. Uh, my, my romance with her was great. After we got married, you know, first six months, eh, but after that, it's been great. <laughs> it's true. You know, mo most couples get married, and they have a great honeymoon, and they have the a great, you know, first few months or whatever, and then they end up in trouble. No, ours was the reverse. Basically, M Maria and I didn't hide who we were, so we got married, and we're, <laughs> we're just colliding. We're basically getting used to each other. And yeah, for about six months, it was hell. <laughs> but after six months, you know, we, we just started to, to just click. <laughs> and we've been clicking ever since. It's been great. It's been a great romance, you know, for the past almost 28 years. <laughs> I've loved my marriage with her. But you know what? I think back to my first encounter with God. It's that romance with my wife is nothing compared to that. Nothing. That high that I got from, from meeting God, nothing can compare to it. it it's that, that first love. It's that first love that God wants you to be in. It, it should not change. If you've lost it, God is saying, you know what? Repent. It's a sin, basically, to be out of that first love. Because everything is about our relationship with him. We, during my, our vacation, uh, uh, it was probably a little over a month ago, about a month and a half. And you know, during this time, I was, I was learning. God was speaking to me again. And you know, one of the things is, during your prayers, how many of you call him Lord? How many of you call him Father? Yeah, I, I used to do both before that. And then during this vacation, you know, God was teaching me, you know what, it, it, it's the, the Bible says that we have the privilege, basically, of calling him Father. Abba is what we're told in Galatians 4, verse 6, that our spirit cries, Abba, Father. The term Abba basically is a term of endearment. It, it's like saying Daddy or Papi for you who speak Spanish or... It's an intimate relationship. You know what? The world calls him Lord, and, and he is Lord. And all the world, at one point, basically, is going to have to kneel and it's going to have to acknowledge that he is Lord. But we call him Father. 
And it's that intimate relationship that he desires. We're not to call him Lord. Lord is the term of a servant. And he says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. And Galatians 4.6 again says that he's given us a spirit of adoption. We're adopted into his family. We're his children. And it's that relationship that he desires with us. You know, my kids, even my oldest, you know, she's working and everything, but she still, you know, depends on me for lots of stuff. And I have no problem with that. I enjoy being able to help her out. Do you think God wants you to be dependent on him and you to come to him and ask him? He does. He wants to bless you. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is meet with him. And he will do it. You know, Trevor made a, a great uh, point the last time he, he covered for Pastor Mike. He, he was dealing with the, the story of Moses after his first wife died. He married an Ethiopian, and we're told that, you know, his brother and sister weren't very happy about it. <laughs> they were complaining. God rebuked them and, you know, made Miriam a leper. And his point was basically, you know, that technically Moses was in a wrong. He, he was not supposed to marry somebody who was not from the tribe. Yet, here, God basically took his side. And that's because the point that he's making here is that even though he broke a law, well, technically a ceremonial law, that his relationship with God is superior to that. And you know what? Our relationship with God is superior. We are all sinners. We have all sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. But because of that relationship that we've entered in through the blood of Jesus Christ, it's superior. We're no longer basically to pay for those sins. He's paid for them. And that relationship covers it. You know, I... I can't imagine basically living life without God's love, without his presence. A uh, couple of years ago, I, I've, I don't think I've ever experienced, uh, yeah, I guess you'd, you'd call it depression, ever in my life. Well, I, actually, I'll take that back. Before I knew God, I, I did experience it. <laughs> Because, you know, as a young kid, you start looking up at the sky and wondering, you know, what's life all about? And you don't have any answers, and you will get depressed, big time. But since I became a believer, never. Until about a, a year and a half ago when Madel went off to Israel. And for a while there, you know, I got sick. I had a fever for about a week, but that, that wasn't the worst. I mean, I've had fevers before, and I'm, no big deal. I get to rest. I get to be at home. <laughs> I actually enjoy those times, those down times. But this one, there was an ache, there was a hurt, basically, that just wouldn't go away. And God was dealing with me at that point as well, and I had to basically completely turn my attention and completely turn my focus around 180 degrees. And I had to basically just cling to him and walk with him. But can you imagine a life where you don't have that hope? Where all you have is that depression and there's nothing basically that can take care of it because outside of God's presence, nothing could do it. You know, Rabbi Zacharias, he's probably one of my favorite authors, and one of his books, he makes the point that, you know what, it's impossible 
to be depressed if you're worshiping God. And the more I thought about it, you know, the more it made sense. And then when I actually ended up in that situation, it, it made perfect sense. And then I went to it and proved it that, you know what, it's true. <laughs> got into worship, got into fellowship with God, and completely snapped out of it. But it was only through his grace, through his love. I don't know about anybody here, basically. If, if any of you have not felt God's presence, you know, all you have to do is ask for it. If you're a believer, all you have to do is ask for it. He'll meet you. If you're not a believer, well, first, you got to take care of that very important point of coming to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. You have to accept his salvation through his son, Jesus. Once you have that, he's all yours. All yours, anytime. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll be there wherever, whenever. You know, it's... You, you hear other believers. I mean, when you guys go on vacation, when you guys visit another fellowship or whatever, can, can you guys feel God's presence in some of these? You know, during that vacation that we took when we, we were visiting my friends in Rosalito and we decided to go check out the uh, Calvary Chapel. There's a Calvary Chapel in Rosalito. Baja, Mexico. You know, we walked into the property and you could feel God's spirit instantly. I was listening to a message by Raul Reese. He was saying in the early days of Calvary Chapel when they had a tent, he said, you know, th there were fields around that, basically, nothing but fields. It's not like today where you go there and it's all, you know, populated in houses and there's nothing but concrete everywhere. But he says back in those days, basically, there were fields between the, the highway, the 405 highway, and where the tent was. But he says you were driving on that highway, and it's probably a couple of miles from where that was. And he says you could feel the Holy Spirit as you drove through that. Again, if any of you don't feel his presence, if you don't feel his spirit, if you're a believer, all you have to do is ask. If you're not, saint, all you have to do is ask. He'll take you in through his son, Jesus. It's, it's a personal relationship. That's the meaning of the meaning of life. First with him and then with each other. <clears throat> He's calling us as he has since the garden. And if you've been hiding, stop. <laughs> Because, yeah, sin, sin is going to make you hide. It, it doesn't want to be uncovered, and he will uncover it. But what you get out of it is so much better. In closing, everybody knows Micah 6.8, right? I mean, there's a great song on it, too. Just invert it. But that's, that's it. What does God desire of you? You guys want to turn there, or somebody want to sing it? Mm -hmm. There you go. Invert them. Walk humbly with your God. Love mercy. Do justly. That's what God wants. He, he, he's shown us. And that's what God requires of us.
Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for the, the relationship that you've established with us, Father, through your son, Jesus Christ, to his shed blood on the cross. We ask you, Father, to help us not to take it for granted, to remember how, how much you cherish it and how much we should, Father. Forgive us for hiding, Lord. Forgive us for being too busy, for just not desiring your presence, and help us, Father, to grow in you and to continually seek that presence, Father. Continue to seek your love and your guidance in all things. Help us, Father, to seek you the way you desire to be sought and to see you the way you desire to be seen as our loving Father who wants to bless us, who wants to spend time with us and strengthen our walk with you and guide us in you and help us, Father, to be pleasing to you in everything. We ask you, Father, for the team in Israel, that you would bless them, that you would bring them home safely, that you would meet with them, Father, and show them your presence and your love, and that you would do works that they are to walk in, that you would bless them and guide them in them, and help them to see your power and your grace, and that you would be praised and glorified, Father. And we thank you, and we praise you, and we ask it all, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.